All right, we're kind of picking up where we left off in the lectionary last week uh, in Mark 10, but for some reason, um, the wise lectionary text selectors, as they are, cut out the, the piece before that. So, um, uh, yeah, Jesus says some things about how he's going to have to die. We'll get to it later, uh, but just to let you know from the start, we're continuing in the lectionary, but there's a little missing piece. So it is... The text for this morning is Mark 10, 35 through 45, and uh, it should be in the bulletin, or you can just listen. I'm reading from uh, the message this morning. James and John, Zebedee's sons, came up to him. Teacher, we have something we want you to do for us. Very bold. What is it? I'll see what I can do. Arrange it, they said, so that we will be awarded the highest places of honor in your glory, one of us at your right and the other at your left. Jesus said, you have no idea what you're asking. Are you capable of drinking the cup I drink, of being baptized in the baptism I'm about to be plunged into? Sure, they said, why not? Jesus said, come to think of it, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized in my baptism. But as to awarding places of honor, it's not my business. There are arrangements for that. Then the ten heard of this conversation, and they lost their tempers with James and John. Jesus got together and got them together to settle things down. You've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, he said. And when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be the first among you must be your slave. You must be your slave. Um, that is what the Son of Man has done. He, is, he came to serve, not to be served, and then give away his life in exchange for many who are held hostage. The word of the Lord. Okay, so last week we talked about how uh, the story with Jesus calling the wealthy young man in calling him to let go of his attachments to his his wealth and his stuff. We talked about how following Jesus actually puts us in a position that should make us uncomfortable with what we have. I'm slowly over time uh, in the, you know, over a decade now that I've like been on this journey as a, as a Christian, as I'm a follower of Jesus, uh, that Learning to let go, it might be the primary movement that Jesus calls us into. How to let go of our expectations. Have you ever not met your expectations? Have you ever failed your own expectations? I am there all the time. Um, so growing up, I was an athlete. I was actually talking to Amanda yesterday, like five to 18 years old. It's like what I was. I was an athlete. That's all I did. That's all I thought about. Um, so I grew into that identity. That's all I did. I was Ryan Pryor athlete, basketball, whatever, you know. Not that long ago, uh, I used to think that I was going to be a full-time singer-songwriter, like really not that long ago. I was Ryan Pryor, singer-songwriter. That's what I was, my whole identity based around that. Uh, whole groups of people that only knew me as that, 
Have you ever grown attached to a certain identity that you've had? Your name, fill in the blank, whatever that might be. Um, I've had so many of these iterations where everything I've done is like focused on like it has an attachment to it. Um, Thomas Merton might call this attachment the false self. Um, he says it like this, every one of us is shadowed by a false self. We're not very good at recognizing these illusions, least of the ones we cherish about ourselves. I think that's really great, least of the ones we cherish about ourselves. So I know I've, I've failed to meet my expectations time and time and time again. But then I take on these sort of like transitions as sort of like perceived failings where you like you fail to meet your expectations and you take those on in a personalized way. But these are just attachments to that false self, that false identity that we take on. So anytime I fail to meet these expectations, I feel like a failure, like I feel like I've just fallen so completely short. Um, but these are just attachments. They're just attachments to that, that false self. Um, uh, and so in this text, I've never attempted to make any deals with God. I, <laughs> I read this in the message, but there's some really great translations of the, of, uh, I just love that. I love and I hate that. It's crazy that James and John, they come to him and they're like, all right, listen here, Jesus. You know, we, we got something we, we need you to do for us. All right, like they're like in a corner of them like the mob or something. Um, so I've never, I've never tried to make any deals with, with God, but you can see what, what's going on in this story with James and John. They're incredibly close friends with Jesus. They're learning to study and, and how to live like Jesus. They're following after him. They call him in this text, teacher. Um, but they still think that there should be more, right? Like, they still come to him and they're like, all right, like, this all following you and learning stuff's great, but we want, we want something else, right? Beyond the healing and the baptism and, you know, feeding the hungry and saving distressed people, um, they're kind of thinking there's a, some reward at the end of this thing, right? We've sacrificed a lot or, you know, there's going to be something good to come of all this. So they try to shake Jesus down. It's a bold, very bold move. Um, and their request is dominated by this reward narrative that I think we are pretty familiar with. Uh, Walter Brueggemann might call this uh, the system of anxiety, where we're just playing into the role of the system. There's more. There's a reward. We're, we're working toward gaining something in all of this. They say, arrange it so that we will be awarded the highest places of honor in your glory. One of us at your right, one of us at your left. It's like they're trying to be like vice president and secretary of state in Jesus' White House. <laughs> um, like I said, the text right before this so the text that we did last week was Jesus saying, you know, the last should be first and first will be last, whatever. Uh, and then right after that, Jesus says, uh, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes. They'll condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and then kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. And then Peter and James, or James and John are like, so what can we get out of this? You're like, what? 
this is, he just talked about, the first will be last, you know, giving up, every, you know, challenging this wealthy man to let go of his attachment to all of his stuff, all of his wealth. And then they're like, can we be rewarded for all of this stuff? I mean, it's really pretty funny. Um, it reads like an absurdist comedy. Um, but I think we don't want to admit how often we do very similar things, if not so over the top or missing the point. Uh, we have our own attachments, attachments, attachments to our religion, our tribe, our politics, our occupation, our hobby, your CrossFit, whatever. The false self-attachment. And then we're unconsciously or consciously uh, attached to the reward mentality that even service following the way of Jesus will then somehow score us points somewhere down the line. What I, I'm going to call reward system attachment. So we might not be bold enough to admit this this morning or ask uh, Jesus like these two uh, sons of thunders they're sometimes referred to as, which I, I think is such a great name. If anybody can come up with a, a name for me like that, it'd be awesome. Sons of thunder. Uh, but I think we live in these spaces pretty often. It sounds like Andrea's doing really great with the kids back there. <laughs> uh, no, no, Christine, don't. No. I'm sure she's got it covered. I'm sure she's... Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. First. The path of Jesus says to James and John, it's the path of baptism, this symbol of death and resurrection, death and resurrection, dying to the old and being brought into something new. And Jesus even admits to them, you will go through my baptism. And in the story, then we see, this is not just James and John, right? It's the rest of the disciples. It says, once the other ten like, figured this out, they were like, ah, I should have thought of that. You know, I wanted to be Secretary of State. Uh, they get really upset at that. They didn't think of it first. So they're still trapped in the same narrative of ladder climbing, reward system. And Jesus concludes... Uh, by, you know, getting the crew together and, and then saying, you know, this is how the world works. The rulers, uh, they try to fight for powerful positions, and he juxtaposes it with this service economy that he's trying to, you know, teach these disciples to live into. He says, you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, and when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. We cannot relate at all to that, can we? He says, it's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to become great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first, you must uh, be your slave. This is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served, and then give his life away in exchange for many who are held hostage. So can we see this morning that the way to power is not through power, but actually serving and letting go to these attachments, the reward system, or the, the false identities that we live into. I fall into this trap all the time here at Mission Hills. Um, you know, it's, I want Mission Hills to be known as like a really great inclusive space for all people to, to come and feel like it's a place that you can talk about your doubt, the complexity of life, uh, your frustration with uh, religious institutions, 
uh, or any questions about how we live in the way of Jesus in a fractured world. But I want people to know that, right? I fall into this trap all the time as if it's just not good enough to like do this work, but we, I want people to know that we do this. That's messed up. <laughs> I might as well be next to Jesus asking him for you know, some sort of like reward or position because that's exactly, that's exactly what I'm doing. How have we missed the point? After all the disciples have missed the point in the story, Jesus reminds them that his posture towards them is pure acceptance. He came not to serve, but to be served. Jesus sees the disciples' attachments but doesn't see the disciples as their attachments. This is true grace in love through Jesus. That despite all of that, like last week, with the, the wealthy man who can't seem to get rid of his attachments to his stuff, Jesus looks at him, and the text says he loved him. In the midst of all that, in the midst of, of all of his attachments to his wealth or his stuff, that Jesus looks at us and doesn't see our attachments, doesn't see the false self, but the true self. And as Christians, that's what we're trying to continually live into. That's what Jesus means when he says, drink the cup that I drink and, and be baptized in my baptism. This death and resurrection that we're continually being lived into. It's not just one thing that happens to you and then you're good the rest of your life. We're constantly missing the point, constantly needing to remind ourselves of this narrative. I think that's why we take communion every week, or one of the reasons why we take communion every week. It's this visceral reminder that we're being broken and dipped into the baptism of Jesus. So Jesus, aware of what his challenges to the authorities and aware of the kind of suffering that awaits people who served beyond religious boundaries. He knew what it would lead to. And he still is telling this message, right? They're on their way to Jerusalem. They're getting kind of close to the end of his life at this point. And he's still, you know, He's still doing it, even though it's like close to the end and the disciples are still missing the point, um, which I can imagine would be really frustrating for him. He's still taking them on the path of descent. For centuries, Christians have called this the way of the cross. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that, the way of the cross, the way of the cross. Um, and it's because that we need to fundally, fundamentally be reminded that true grace is found on this path. That authentic spirituality is always about letting go. It's the path of descent as opposed to the path of ascent, the ladder climbing that we so often get trapped in. We're invited into this deep grace 
God's love of our true self. The loving gaze of Jesus in the midst of all of the attachments, all of the stuff that we have going on. Jesus reminds us that we will drink the cup and be baptized into his baptism, which is a great gift. It's the method, it's the, I'm keep doing that this morning. It's a messy path of the disciples, and it's our messy path today. I think it's okay to, to admit that. It reminds us that even when we miss the point, when we get tied up in the reward system or these false identities that we put on ourselves, it reminds us that healing and restoration, that deep grace in Christ is being regenerated within us all the time. That's the invitation going on constantly. The generosity of Christ. It's the gentle guiding of the Spirit in our lives. It's the path of the cross. This morning I want to end with uh, a prayer from uh, Walter Brueggemann uh, about the generosity of Christ. He writes this, sink your generosity deep into our lives that your muchness may expose our false lack, that endlessly receiving, we may endlessly give so that the world may be made Easter new without greedy lack, but only wonder, without coercive need, but only love, without destructive greed, but only praise, without aggression and invasiveness, all things Easter new, all around us, toward us and by us, all things Easter new. Finish your creation in wonder, in praise, in love. Amen.